Good morning, Hope. How y'all doing this morning? All right, I'll take it. It's good to see y'all. My name is Steve, and we are starting a new series today, and it's called After Easter. But before we jump into that, just wanted to ask you, have you ever thought about days or moments or events or things that have totally, totally drastically changed our world? Your world, my world. Things that have come along through time that have changed the way we think, changed the way we speak and and act, change the way that we interact with other people, change the way we think about life, the way we think about ourselves, the way that we exchange information. Events that totally change the world. The printing press. The printing press, right? Before this invention, if you wanted to share information with a lot of people, scribes would have to take countless hours and countless numbers of scribes to write down on paper exactly what was trying to be copied, and there would be mistakes here and there, and it would be a really expensive process. But with the printing press, you could perfectly replicate information for as many people as you wanted. It truly changed the world. Maybe an event that we know of fairly well, the American Revolution. Some of you in this room probably have me beat on history, Kev. But, I mean, there are um, situations that change the way that societies could look at the fact that a people could rise up against the tyrannical monarchy, overthrow them, and set up a democratic republic. This was new. This changed the world. Maybe even not so great days. Maybe you can remember where you were on 9-11, that Tuesday morning. I remember one of my professors was a retired colonel, and he turned to me and very matter-of-factly said, this is going to change the world forever. Maybe it's other technologies that are new. Can you believe that this device is only 10 years old? Could you imagine living your life without one of these? The fact that all the information in the world, on the World Wide Web, is right here in the palm of my hand. I can contact people that I need to speak with. I can find out where I am and where I'm going. I can do many, many things with this iPhone. If you have an Android, it's just not as good. But with this iPhone... (laughs) With this iPhone, the world changed, didn't it? Only 10 years ago. Didn't have this little device. June 24th, 2000. Big day for you? Big day for me. Big day for me and my wife? That's our wedding anniversary. That was the day that we promised each other that we would love and cherish that one person the rest of our lives. Changes the world, doesn't it? Changes the way you interact with people, doesn't it? Changes the way you think and the way that you feel, the way that you live. Easter is one of those days. Easter is one of those days. 
It's one of those days that literally changed the world. And for the Christian, it's one of those change, one of those days that changed you forever. And so as we unpack in this series after Easter, we're going to be looking, looking at these first followers of Jesus. You see, at the beginning, Easter was confusing for them. But as they began to understand and believe in what it all meant, it was inspiring and motivating. And Easter for these early disciples of Jesus, it changed the way they looked at their families. It changed the way that they interacted with their friends. It changed the way they did their jobs. It changed the way that they spent their money. It changed the way that they felt about their country, the way that they looked at their past, the way that they looked at their future. It changed their very identity in this one day. The day that Jesus rose and defeated death. It not only changed them on the inside, but it changed them on the outside. As we journey over the next three weeks together, we're going to see that these early followers of Jesus were not only changed on the inside, but they were changed on the outside. And they realized that this day called Easter was a call to action, a call to take risks, to enter into conversations, to enter into relationships with this new identity, with this new way of thinking in mind, that they would see that it didn't matter where anywhere, where anyone else was in their life. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman, if you were a child or an adult, if you were slave or free. It didn't matter if you were rich or you were poor, if you were powerful or marginalized. It didn't matter if you were strong or if you were weak, if you were healthy or if you were injured. It didn't matter if you were proud or humble or a Jew or a Gentile. This day was for everyone. This day of Easter changed the world for everyone. How important is Jesus, really? How important is Jesus, really? T.S. Eliot said this, found this quote in preparing for this talk today. Said so the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man or woman can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. How important is Easter, really? So we're going to look at uh, some scripture this morning. And we're going to look at this Easter day for some of Jesus's earliest followers and disciples. And we're going to hopefully learn from them this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to take that out. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, feel free to pull that up on your iPhone. Or maybe not. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke and how some of Jesus's earliest fathers, followers, excuse me, met Easter. Luke 24, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13, and the words will also be on the screen behind me 
And I'm going to read it as we follow along together. It's a fairly lengthy passage, but you don't have ADD, so we'll be fine. That very day, two of them, two of these disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. All these things that had happened is this triumphal entry into Jerusalem of Jesus and being greeted and praised and all the events of that week and the Last Supper and Good Friday and his crucifixion and even the events of that morning we're going to see. They were talking about all these things together. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they, but him, they did not see. And he said to them, this being Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we... um, We do look to your word this morning. We believe that it is truth and that it is life and that your love and your grace and your mercy flow through its words. 
We believe that it is alive and that it is active and moving in our minds and in our hearts today. God, we want to know you more. God, we want to follow you more. God, we want to love you more. So as your spirit moves in this place and in this room right now, we ask that by your grace you would help us. Help your servant and speak through him. And give us all ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive your love for us today. It is in your name, Jesus, we all said, amen. So let's return to this story. So we have these followers of Jesus. We have one named Cleopas and his companion. We don't know who that companion is. We don't know if it's a man or a woman, one of Jesus' followers, we assume. Maybe it's even Cleopas' wife. We're not really sure. But we have these two that are traveling down the road. And they've experienced this great event that has occurred, this great series of events in Jerusalem. But they haven't stayed. They've journeyed on. And they've left Jerusalem on their way to this village called Emmaus, and they are disillusioned, and they are disheartened, and they don't understand, and they aren't sure of what is going on, because the Jesus that they had thought they were following was not the Jesus that they understood now. You see, they had hoped that Jesus would be the one. Jesus would be the Messiah the anointed one, the Christ, the one who would raise up Israel. For Israel was in a season of bondage over Roman imperial rule. And they believed that this Messiah would restore the nation to its rightful place and give them their freedom that they had been looking for. And though that was part of Jesus' mission, it wasn't the whole thing. See, we get in trouble when we minimize who Jesus is, and what he came to do. We get in trouble when we minimize who Jesus is and what he came to do. You see, this traveler came up to them. They didn't know it was Jesus. Came up behind them and said, tell me, what's going on? And they said, Jesus, how could you not know him? He's this great teacher. He's this great prophet. He's mighty in word and deed. But do you see how they sold the story short just a little bit? Yeah, Jesus was all those things. But Jesus is such, such more than just that. Jesus disappointed their expectations. For their expectations weren't great enough for him. They were so much more. And so doubts arose. Is that ever true of us today? When Jesus answers the question that we're asking differently than we had expected, sometimes it leads us to doubt, doesn't it? When we're going through a season in our lives and we think that God's going to come through in a certain way or things are going to turn out the way that God wants and things 
aren't going as we had planned? When Jesus answers the question differently than what we hadn't expected, it can often lead us to doubt. And that's where these disciples, these followers of Jesus find themselves. So Jesus comes along and he begins to remind them or school them or give them a holy smackdown. Hey, how could you not listen? Oh, foolish ones, slow to believe. How could you not listen? Sometimes we're not good at listening, are we? Sometimes we're not good at paying attention. I mean, Jesus himself had said, the Son of Man is going to die and be raised up again to life. And they, they missed it. I'm not sure how you missed something like that, but they missed it. Because sometimes the things of God are so great that we miss it. And so he begins to unpack the Old Testament, the scriptures, the works of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he begins to show, hey, this is about me. This is about me. Oh, here, this is about me as well. Do you begin to understand? Do you begin to see why this was necessary? And so he acts like he's going on. And we're not sure exactly why. I was thinking to myself, maybe this is like a test. Like, do you really want to know how the story ends? Or are you just going to be satisfied with your disappointment? Do you really want to know how the story ends, God says, or do you want to be just sitting in your disappointment? But you didn't meet my expectations, God. But they don't say go on. They say, come on, stay with us. The day is already done. Let's go. Let's eat. Let's rest. So he goes into the house, and as he's breaking the bread, this could have been something that just clicked in their minds, but the text actually says that God revealed himself to them in that moment, in the breaking of the bread and the blessing. It Not that they were receiving communion at that time, but maybe there was something that they was just, they remembered, and ah, they see. It's Jesus. And then he was gone. They realized in that moment that Jesus was not just the great teacher that they had talked about. Jesus was not just the great prophet that God had sent. Jesus was not just the all-around great guy that everybody agrees on. Jesus was something more. Jesus was the one who entered the grave and defeated death. That our greatest enemy that we will ever face in this life was defeated in the work and the power of Jesus Christ. He is not only prophet. He is not only teacher. He is Lord of all. And he is the risen and resurrected one. And they had trouble with this. Sometimes we do too. Because if you look around... There's not a whole lot of resurrection going on. Unless you're not looking in the right places. You know, the early church struggled with resurrection too. In fact, uh, last week on Easter Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeff was talking to us about Easter and he referenced the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul planted a church in a city called Corinth. And this was a new church and he had left to go plant other churches and he was writing back to them. Okay, And in his letter back to them, he would say things like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you kind of got it right. 
you're doing this wrong, 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 you're doing this wrong. Because Christians, we always do it right. That was a joke. But anyways, um, he gets to this chapter 15 and he says, you know what? There's something I got to tell you. There's something I got to be clear about. There's something I have to say. It is of most importance. It is the first thing. It is the main thing. It is the thing you can't forget. And even though there are some of you that are struggling to believe it, this is the bottom line. Jesus Christ died. According to the scriptures, Jesus Christ was buried according to the scriptures, and Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus Christ rose again. And he says, I know some of you are having trouble believing this. I know some of you are trying to think up other ways to think about this Jesus guy. I know some of you are trying to find some other theologies, some other ways of looking at God that don't include this difficult thing about rising again from the dead. Because you know what, Paul? People don't rise again from the dead. But here's what he said, and he said this is going to be on the screen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, Jesus isn't just someone who solves your problem now. Jesus is the one who solves your problem of forever. Jesus isn't the one who just makes you right now. Jesus is the one who makes you right for eternity. And I know some of us, maybe even in this room, struggle with this idea of resurrection. I would love to talk to you more about it, but just for this morning... Just want you to lean into this thought. Maybe it's true. Maybe all those eyewitnesses were telling the truth. Maybe this collection of books that has been passed down is actually true. That there is one who has defeated the grave. And because of that, he is Lord over all. And he is someone worthy to give our lives to. This is the heart of our Christian experience, the resurrection of Jesus, that it would be ours as well. You see, something happened in these early disciples. Something happened in them that changed them from the inside out. Going back to that story from the walk to Emmaus, what did they say? When Jesus disappeared, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us as he revealed himself in the scriptures? There is something so personal about our faith. It isn't just something in our minds that we, be- that we think, but it's something in our hearts that we believe, isn't it not? I mean, if you're here today and you know and you believe as Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there is probably a moment that you can relate to this heart being warmed, our heart being burning inside of us. Maybe it was a sense of deep peace or reassurance, or maybe you shed a tear, but you came to a moment where you said, it's true for me, and you made it personal for yourself. 
It's not just a historical moment, but it's something that we invite into our lives, that God saves us, that he changes us from the inside out, that we aren't who we were before, that our souls are new, that we have a faith that we never had before because of what the resurrected Christ does in our hearts. We're going to see through the next couple weeks that Jesus meets us in different ways. It's not the same every time. Sometimes it is an, a miraculous event that happens in our lives and we believe in that instance. Sometimes it's because we do process and we think and we research and we read and we want to gain knowledge to come to that belief. But sometimes it just slowly happens in our lives. We're following Jesus and we just slowly recognize that he is the one. He is the one. You know, our found, the founder of our movement of Methodism had a very similar experience to these first disciples. His name was John Wesley. And he founded this movement that we're a part of, the Methodist movement. And John was a pastor's kid in England. He lived almost 300 years ago. And he grew up to be like his dad. So he was a pastor, and he went to Oxford University and studied and formed what was called the Holy Club, because everyone wants to be in the Holy Club. That sounds like fun. And he had friends, and they would, I mean, this guy knew what it was to be a Christian. And he went to this uh, new colony to be a missionary, the colony of Georgia. Maybe you've heard of it. Georgia. That's enough of that. And he had a very difficult experience. He had a very disillusioning experience, and he found himself on a ship back to England with a group of people named Moravians who had a faith that he had never encountered before. And he got back to England, and he would meet with people, and he was just finding himself in a place of, what is going on right now? And so he went to go to a meeting, and during that meeting, they were reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. It's a page turner. Actually, I've never read it. But he was reading it, and it was being read there. And this is, I believe, that God can use any source to change our hearts. This is what I believe, okay? Because during the reading of the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, something came over, John. And he couldn't describe it. He said, my heart was strangely warmed. Sound familiar? These were his words from his journal. I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You know, the story of John's, I pray that it is ours as well. If it has already happened to you and you can remember that time when your heart was strangely warm for Jesus, praise God. But if it's not you today and you are still on this journey, I just continue to pray that you would lean in, that you would lean in to who Jesus is, that you would seek and search and don't stop until he will change your heart for him. I think Romans 8 says it best. This is from the message translation. It says it better than I could ever say it, so I'm going to read it as it's on the screen for us today. 
But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, when God lives and breathes in you, when God lives and breathes in you and you and me, as he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So, the story continues. Let's take a look, because these followers were on their journey. They had journeyed to Emmaus, and when they met Jesus and realized it was him, they hunkered down and spent the night. Incorrect. They left immediately, immediately they ran back to Jerusalem because they had a story to tell. They had a story to tell. And so they find themselves where the 11, the other apostles, had gathered, and this happens next. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit when are they going to get it right? And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, see, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. This can't actually be happening. You've ever had an experience where you're like, it's too good to be true. That was like Gwen on that wedding day. It's too good to be true. Uh, you Listen to the podcast, you'll get it. Anyways, um, sorry, I was just kidding. It's too good for them to be true. They can't believe it. They're still for joy, marveling. And he says to them, have you got anything to eat? Profound. Profound for a person who was dead. Last time I checked, dead people don't eat anything. Neither do ghosts. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, like their leftovers, and he took it and ate it before them. Can you just see them right now? What's he doing? I think he's eating breakfast. He must be hungry. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, let's listen up. Are we following along? Have you already read it because the words are behind me? Okay. Thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. To just Israel? To all nations. To just people who are like me? To all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed from, with power from on high. More on that next week. But I want to say this again. You are witnesses of these things. I am witnesses of these things. If God, through Jesus Christ, has changed your heart, has moved inside your life, has brought you from death to life, you are a witness. What's a witness? Somebody who sees something happen and is called to tell about it. What is a witness? Someone who sees something happen. Someone who experiences something. Someone who has a story to tell and is willing to tell others about it. That's what a witness is. You are a witness. You are a witness. We are all witnesses to the greatness of Jesus Christ. If he has truly come and made his home in our hearts, then we have a story to tell, friends. We have a hope that the world does not have. We have something to say. We have life to give. We have joy to show. We have hope to give. In this life and into the next. Because Jesus is not only a prophet. and Jesus is not only a teacher. And Jesus is not only an all-around great guy. Jesus is the ruler of all. And not only is Jesus the ruler of all, he is the savior of all. He is the one who loved us when we were unlovable. He is the one who died for us when we deserved that death. He is the one who shows mercy and grace. He is the one for which we go out and say, there is hope for you because there is hope for me. Do you, do you see that this morning? The greatest gift, the single greatest gift that we could ever give to another person is an introduction to the God who created them. It's an introduction to the God who created them. It's the single greatest gift anyone could ever receive. You see, our faith, friends, is intensely personal. Jesus has done something in us, but it is not private. Jesus tells his followers, he says, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, to everyone. The band's going to come up at this time, and we're going to sing one last song together this morning. But as they do that, um, just wanted to end with a thought from N.T. Wright, he says, uh, he says this. 
The revolutionary new world which began in the resurrection of Jesus, the world where Jesus reigns as Lord, having won the victory over sin and death, has its frontline outposts in those who in baptism have shared his death and resurrection. The intermediate stage between the resurrection of Jesus and the renewal of the whole world is the renewal of human beings, you and me. You see, Jesus, don't be fooled. Jesus is doing a great work right now. Right here and right now, the living Christ is doing a great work. Do you know where he's doing a great work? He's doing a great work in you and me. And you and me are how Jesus renews the world. You and me. You and me are how Jesus makes things right. How Jesus' rule and his kingdom goes forth. Because you and me have a story to tell. You and me have experienced something that changes the way we see everything. You and me have experienced Easter. And so this song that we're going to sing together declares these things. It says, you are the light Jesus, you are the light, and we are the people of God. We are the sons and daughters of love. We are forgiven. We are restored. We are redeemed, offering our lives to the praise of the King. We're going to sing those words as a corporate we, but inside, be thinking, I. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am restored. I am redeemed. I am living my life to the praise of the King. Amen? I am the one who will shine his lightness in the darkest of night. The hopeless, the broken, the poor, they will be hopeless and broken no more because the hope of the world is in you and it's in me. So why don't we sing that together? Let's all rise to our feet. The band's going to lead us. Let's know that Jesus is here this morning.